Good evening. Merry Christmas to you. Um, this evening, I'd like to share some thoughts from Isaiah chapter 9. It's one of the verses that was uh, read for us just a moment ago. So you can look at it in your bulletin uh, just a few pages back, or if you have a Bible, you can open up to Isaiah chapter 9. Um, before we spend some time in that passage, a few moments anyway, let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to open up your word together. And uh, we pray that as we have sung about Jesus, that we might behold him in this passage. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, one of the Christmas traditions I grew up with was the annual Christmas treasure hunt. It was the brainchild of my grandmother, who never let an opportunity pass, in which a regular old boring, ordinary, gift-giving situation couldn't be transformed into something much more exciting, like a treasure hunt. That was her idea of fun, and it immediately became our idea of fun, whether we liked it or not, including on Christmas morning. On Christmas morning at, at Grandma's house, we would wake up, we would open up all the presents under the tree, and when the presents were done, and mind you, she did this every year, she would stand up and she would say, well, I guess that's about it. And you would feel your Christmas dreams slowly begin to compress, you know, like one foot on a tin can on a sidewalk, slowly applying pressure, and then all of a sudden, she would stop, and she would fish around in her carnigan sweater, in her pocket. She'd try one pocket, and now, oh, wait a second. And she'd hold up a clue. It was always on an index card. It was always written in cursive. She was a teacher, so it was always a poem, and it rhymed. And immediately, hope was restored that the best gift that you had not received yet, that you were hoping grandma just might splurge on for you, hope was still alive that that gift was somewhere out there. If you could just get past the first clue, and then the second clue, and then the third, and the fourth, and maybe fifth or sixth, you eventually got to the best Christmas gift of all. Yeah, we fell for that every single year. I mean, every year, right when she was walking away, you thought for just a moment, no, maybe this year she really doesn't have one more gift in store. But sure enough, it was just one more step toward the final present. Over the last uh, few weeks, we as a church have been on our own Christmas treasure hunt. We started by asking a question, who do you think Jesus is? And then we started looking for clues. And we reached into the deep recesses of the Old Testament, words that were written some 700 years before Jesus was born, and we arrived in Isaiah chapter 9, and we focused on verse 6, which was read for you a moment ago, that, that the coming Messiah, the one we know as Jesus, Isaiah described him as the mighty God, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Each one of those clues leading us closer and closer to tonight when we announce the arrival of the one Isaiah hoped for. Now, uh, if you haven't been with us on this little journey, that's okay. 
because you are here tonight, and tonight we come to the most important clue of all. In fact, if you don't get this clue, you don't get the whole thing. And the clue really comes in the form of two words, to us, for to us, a child is born to us, a son is given. What that means is tonight when we talk about Jesus and what he has done for us, we have to talk about him as a gift. And like any gift, it's not a gift you earn or you, uh, you somehow find a way to uh, take off of someone's hands or prove your worth to get. A gift is a gift is a gift. It's given to you. And we need to reflect tonight a bit on what it means for Jesus to be given to you. Uh, it means at least two things. First of all, we need to make sure we understand what God gives when he gives us Jesus. And secondly, why? Why he gives Jesus to us. Well, Isaiah tells us what God gives. He gives a child. He gives a son. Uh, which may or may not conform to your expectations of the sorts of things that, a, that God would give to you. I don't know if, if we just started from scratch and I were to ask you, you know, what do you think God wants most to give you? Like, what's at the top of God's list for you? I think some of us would say, well, probably a very long list of rules, uh, a behavior code, uh, a set of moral standards, because after all, who can't use a little more goodness and discipline and uh, good behavior in their life? We could all use that. And so that's the number one thing God feels like he needs to give to you. That would be his greatest gift. Now, make no mistake, there are some rules and lists in the Bible. I can point you to at least 10 commandments, but that's not what Isaiah says is his greatest gift. Or some of us might say, well, no, no, I think what, what God most wants to give me in life is like a, a sense of well-being, like a sense of self-worth, a sense of, you know, I can live with myself, I can love myself, I can accept myself, I can love the people around me, and make no mistake, God says a lot about love too. In fact, those Ten Commandments can be reduced to two, both of which have to do with love. That's not what Isaiah says the greatest gift of all is. The greatest gift, he says, is a child, a son, which is extraordinary because it means that God's greatest gift to you is the most precious thing to him. What more could God give to us than his own son? And so the response to that gift, when we begin to consider what it is that God gives, that he gives a child and a son, the response to that really can't be, wow, uh, you know, that's nice. I mean, that's what you say tomorrow morning when you open up Aunt Susie's gift, which you've known is coming ever since you got the gift in the mail, like three months ago, right? You don't have to shake it. You don't have to hold it on your head. You don't have to smell it. You know what it is. She's been knitting things since you were three years old, Okay. And it's a pair of mittens or a hat or oven mitts or something you didn't know could be knitted, but it has been for you. That's what you say when you get that gift. When you get this gift, I, I just... It seems to me the only valid response would be, 
Why? Why why would God give a child a son to me? Why would he do that? So let's talk about that. Not just what God gives, but why God gives. This is important because if you're anything like me, it's possible to separate the question in a way that's unnatural, right? Because we can sort of come to terms with what God gives. We can all get behind Joy to the World, Silent Night, What Child Is This? We can get conceptually the idea that God has given us his son as a child. Like, we understand that. We may not be fully bought into it, but but we at least conceptually understand it, and yet at the same time, we can miss the why. It's like, I'm taking a risk here when I say this, but uh, it's like reading the Sharper Image Catalog. Now, I think this is a bigger deal when I was growing up, but I got one in the mail this year, so I'm going to roll with it. But when I read the Sharper Image Catalog, I see lots of impressive items and nifty gadgets that have nothing to do with my life. Like my constant question, page after page, is who buys this? And it's a risk because some of you are those people, and I realize that. Like (laughs) there are Sharper Image loyalty members out there, and I apologize, but I have to say like, You know, it's like when someone gives you a gift, and you know it's the death blow to the gift when they have to explain the gift to you. You open a gift, and you say, huh. And they go, it's a can opener for the car. (laughs) Because you're always saying when you're in the car how great it would be to have a can opener in the car. Have I said that? The why of the gift is important as the what. So is that what we're dealing with here when it comes to Jesus? I think some people read the Christmas story every so often, once a year perhaps, and uh, it's sort of like flipping through the uh, Sharper Image catalog. What does this have to do with me? And the answer is everything. Everything. Every longing you walked in here with every dream you have for your life, every hope you have for the world. That's why Jesus came. He came, Isaiah tells us, to share our suffering. We didn't read this part of the verse. We kind of gave you the good stuff in, in, or the happy stuff in uh, Isaiah 9, but it doesn't, end, it doesn't start in a happy place. Uh, it begins with a phrase that may be familiar to you. The people who dwelt in a land of deep darkness. That's where the story starts. And um, I think we all know that address. That's not a foreign place to us. That's not another world. Like, we all woke up in the land of deep darkness. Don't get me wrong. This world is a beautiful place. Some of you in a few days will go on vacation and see beautiful mountains or beautiful beaches or beautiful places. This world is a beautiful place, and yet it is also at the same time a land of deep darkness. Because when you go to those places, you take all of your problems with you. The persistent depression, the grief, the heartbreak, the loneliness, it's all coming with you. And yet, for us to be told that we have been given a child means that we have been given someone 
to share in our sufferings. Think about that. Jesus didn't come as a 31-year-old guy, didn't come as a 55-year-old man, you know, skipping all the hard parts of life, like being scared of the dark when you're five, or getting your first pimple when you're 12, or, you know, uh, feeling lonely when you're 19, all those things, being rejected as a young person, all of the stuff that some of us would rather just like, "Eh, I can fast forward through that. I would. Jesus didn't fast forward through any of the hard stuff. He entered into the darkness. He entered as a child. He entered the world the same way you and I entered the world, tiny, vulnerable, susceptible to RSV and all the other stuff that's out there, able to get cold, able to get hungry, able to get colicky. And as he grew up, able to be rejected, able to be misunderstood and slandered, and one day to die. He signed up for all of it. All the suffering that you and I experience in this world, he experienced too. Why? Not just to share in our suffering so he could empathize with you, but to bear our shame. There's another place in Isaiah 9 where he uses this language of a yoke A yoke of burden is what he calls it, that the Messiah is coming to break the yoke of burden. I want you to imagine a burden on your shoulders. Well, you don't have to imagine it. Uh, It's not visible, but we all walked in with one tonight. All of us came into this place with our burdens. And if if we just go there for a moment, if you go there for just a moment, you know how heavy that burden can feel, the the burden of caring for elderly parents, the burden of your kids breaking your heart, the burden of chronic pain, the burden of just not really liking yourself that much anymore, if you ever did. All of us carry our burdens into this place, and even though they're varied and they're individual and they're personal, and yes, some we have in common, all of us have this burden in common. Every single human being bears their shame. We read it in the very first reading tonight. You heard it. The story of our first parents and the first question God asks them, where are you? And the answer, I was hiding, which is an answer from a shameful man, a man who has done what he should not have done. He didn't even live up to his own standards, let alone God's. And all of us know that shame. If we're honest for just a moment, we know that there are words we've said that we can't take back, that we wish that we could. There are things that we've done that we can't undo and and we wish that we should. And and you can justify yourself. You can try to get out from underneath that weight. You can try to numb the pain, party the pain, work the pain away. But ultimately, all of us have to do something with our shame. And the reason Jesus came was to look you in the eye, to put his hands on your shoulders and to say, I will Take that for you. All of it. I'll take it for you, and I'll take it to the cross, and you will bear it no more. This is an unusual gift. This is an unusual gift. Most gifts we want. You know, if you're, if you're a dad in the room, you want it. You probably went out and bought it. It's under the tree 
for later tonight or tomorrow, right? Or, or at least it's a gift you asked for. I think I need that thing. I need an ice scraper. I'm going to ask for an ice scraper. Most gifts are gifts we want, or they're gifts we need, or maybe hopefully some combination of the two. But this gift, this is a gift that comes at us and tells us we need something we're not entirely sure we need. Because this gift forces you to admit something most of us don't really want to admit that we're flawed, that we're failures that were sinners. You know, it's like the time someone gave me a, a book for my birthday about humility. I didn't really know how to take that. Like, why don't you just throw in a box of Tic Tacs and, you know, make me feel good about myself, right? I need humility. I need to take care of some other problems. But this gift, wow, this is a gift that says to you, you cannot save yourself no matter how hard you try. Bad news, good news, you don't have to. That's what Jesus came to do for you. You see how those two little words work to us? That final clue? That final clue leads us to perhaps a surprising conclusion. The surprising conclusion is this. We haven't been on the treasure hunt after all. God has been. That he treasured you so much that he left the glories of heaven to enter into the deep darkness of this world, to suffer alongside of us and to bear the shame and guilt of our sin that we might be forgiven and free and with him forever. For to us, a child is born to us. A son is given. Our Father, we thank you for this good word, this gospel message. I pray for my friends here, all of us. All of us struggle for words to express our own shame, our own guilt, and yet deep down we know how desperately we need someone to take the weight of our sin from us to wear our shame, and Lord Jesus, you have. And so we thank you and we praise you and we welcome you even now. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.